At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. The scripture says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know, not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for freeing us. Thank you for liberating us from the power and the slavery that we were under to sin. Thank you for liberating us to yourself, giving us Christ. And so, Lord, as we, as we hear your word this morning, as it is proclaimed, Spirit of God, take this word and work it in our hearts. Transform us. Help us to see how we're to live Change us, make us more like Christ. Bring the fruit of righteousness, which is sanctification and results in eternal life. Bless us here this morning as we herald Christ our King. And we thank you. Bless us now as we, as we listen and receive. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so it was 1979. I know many of you weren't around then. There's a few of us that were, but it was 1979, and Bob Dylan drops this amazing album called Slow Train Coming. And the first tune on that, on that album, it, it wins a Grammy Award, but it's rather controversial. Uh, Dylan's song spoke to the wealthy and to the elite as much as he did the lowly and the ordinary. He, he started calling out specific demographics or people or, or uh, places. I, he identified businessmen, doctors, TV network executives, the poor and the blind. And he concluded in his song, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, the controversy came from the music scene itself. Other artists, other people that were near Dylan, other people that even idolized him kind of stepped back in revolt with, with that kind of song. You've got to serve somebody. Uh, they didn't love the idea, and even the culture at that time still pervades today, but the culture was saying there's no higher power that we have to serve. We are completely free, completely autonomous. I don't serve anybody. In fact, John Lennon, who idolized Dylan, he responded with his own angry tune and pointed version of it called Serve Yourself, which wasn't released until after Lennon died. 
Dylan's song went on to win a Grammy Award, and it has stood as one of Dylan's greatest hits. It's just a song that we know well. And yet it seems that the response of that, the way we think about it, causes us to hit, just to go, wait, what? That, that song hits a nerve. Dylan hit on a truth that many of us don't want to believe, mainly because we like to think we are free. I mean, consider how much we, we value and pursue and talk about freedom these days. Uh, this pandemic of the last 18 months, it, just, it hasn't just been a medical pandemic, although it has very much been that. It's been a pandemic, in our nation anyway, of losing freedom. Nobody better tell me what to do, whether it's wear a mask or get vaccinated or stay at home. You name it, we hate the idea of somebody telling us what we should or shouldn't do. And that's because we believe we are completely autonomous, separated, individual, free people. And yet those ideas, honestly, are a mirage. We're always limited. We're we're always connected. There is no such thing as absolute, autonomous, independent freedom. Let me give you an example of this. Consider what uh, Jeep has rolled off the line lately in one of their new Wrangler models. It is the Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, right? Okay. You'd think with a name like that, you'd have absolute and complete autonomy if you owned that Jeep. You could go anywhere, do anything, trans, uh, transfer over any mountain. You got complete and utter freedom if you have the Jeep Wrangler Unlimited edition. And yet, I found some limitations to that vehicle. First of all, you still have to obey the speed limit, right? Like if you go down the highway at like 90, you're probably going to get pulled over, hopefully. You've still got to obey the laws. Uh, You're limited in its fuel capacity, right? You get maybe 14 to 25, that's the stated numbers, 14 to 25 miles per gallon in that guy. That doesn't sound like unlimited freedom. You're going to have to stop and get gas at some point. Even the laws of the road and the laws of, of nature subvert what we would say is unlimited freedom, the Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, it's, it's rather Jeep Wrangler Limited to whatever it can do. I, I believe Dylan was correct. You and I are going to have to serve somebody. Or, or as the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, deals with it, he says we're all slaves. We are all slaves. In fact, that's what he teaches here in this, in this passage, what he's saying to the Roman Christians and us today. It's this, that everyone is a slave, but only Christians are free. Every one of us is a slave, but, but only Christians are truly free. Paul here in Romans 6 has been dealing with the relationship between sin and grace. In verses 1 through 14, he answered the question, should we keep on sinning so that grace keeps on growing? We want to see a high level of grace, so should we just run around and sin a lot so that grace keeps abounding? And his answer was a resounding no. We are new people in a new relationship, united with Christ, and that means that we are dead to sin. We have no life to the power of sin anymore. We are to deny our flesh and give ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Because we are under grace, righteousness should abound. In fact, he says in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says, Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Well, that statement raises another question. If we live under grace and not under the law... Does that mean that Christianity has no moral constraints? 
Does that mean that we just throw off any shackles, throw off any rules, throw off any law and just do whatever we want? For, for a morally uh, purified or morally objectified people, having no laws kind of sounds frightening. You're just going to let people do what they want? Like, that's terrifying. If I walked into my home this afternoon after worship this morning and I, and I said to our family, hey, guys, we're under grace. We're not under rules anymore. I think my children would go, no rules. Awesome. I can do whatever I want. Is that what Paul is saying here? If Christians don't live under the laws, should we just live as lawless individuals and run amok with immorality all over the world? The Christian faith, maybe the way to put it is this, is the Christian faith a ticket to absolute unbridled freedom to do whatever you want, live however you like, be whatever you want, do whatever you want. You only have to answer to God. The question as Paul heard it is this. It's there in verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Is that how we should live? Free, completely free to do whatever we like? His answer is there. It's very clear. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Paul knew the reality that Dylan sang about. And that reality reflects itself in every facet of a free society. Everyone is a slave. But only Christians are free. The real question is, whose slave are you? Who are you enslaved to? To whom do you serve? If you've got to serve somebody, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, you've got to serve somebody, who do you serve? Who are you serving? The rest of chapter 6 here, Paul wants to deal with that question. And, and in dealing with that question, I want to raise three questions. I want to help us discern, who are we serving? Who, who are you serving in your life? got to serve somebody, who is it? And so I want to draw out three questions for us this morning so that we have a sense of who we are serving and living for in our lives. And the first question that Paul asks or, or leads us to ask is this, it's who do you obey? As you discern who you're serving, whether it's the devil or the Lord, whether you're serving sin or righteousness, who are you serving? Who, who do you obey? Now, Paul sets up the answer to this question in verse 16. Here's how he thinks about it. The power that you present yourself to is the one that you obey. And the one that you obey is the one that you are enslaved to. The power that you present yourself is the one that you obey. And the one that you obey, that power that you obey, is the one that you're actually enslaved to. Here's how he says it. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, then you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? There's two powers that Paul pulls out here. There's sin or there's God. If you present yourself as one who is being obedient to that power, that's who you're enslaved to. So if you, if you show up on the doorstep of sin and you say, here I am, I'm ready to obey, I'm going to do what you, you say and follow in how you lead me, the result, it's death. You're enslaved to sin. You show up at the doorstep of God, so to speak, if you present yourself to him as Paul says it, you say, I'm ready, God, to be obedient to you. I want to follow you. The result that comes from that is, is good. It's righteousness. The truth of the matter is you have to serve somebody. Everyone is, under a, everyone is under a master. We're all slaves to something. So if you keep showing up to sin, keep showing up to obey sin, the reality is you're enslaved to sin. You're showing up to obey God. You're seeking to pursue him. You're a slave to righteousness. 
Now, that, that presents a problem for us because as Paul has said here, if you show up to sin, you'll die. And if we think about it carefully, we know we're all going to die. We're all in that problem. And that reveals we're sinners, which, which tells us, as Paul's logic is working here, we're all enslaved to sin because death is the result of our enslavement. And so are we all doomed? Maybe the, the way I can think about it is, 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 is because we die, our slavery to sin permanently fixed? Are we under the tyranny of sin? Are we slaves to sin so deeply that as we see the result of death in every one of us, we can't get out of it? Is there any, any hope for us? Well, here's good news that Paul has for us. Here's good news to help us live. If you're enslaved to sin, if, if sin is your master, you can be freed. You, you can be freed to be a slave to righteousness. Now, Paul is reflecting on what's going on here in the life of these Roman Christians and, and for us as well. If, if we look at the consequence of sin and our enslavement to sin and we go, that's death, we're all going to die, is that just the end of the story for us? Paul says, no, thanks be to God. You who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. Paul envisions here that there's a movement. There's a change in, in master for, for the Roman Christians. They were slaves to sin. That's where they stood once. But now they've been freed from sin. They become slaves to righteousness. How did, how did that happen? It happened because of the liberating, conquering power of a new master. Let's untangle this here. The Roman Christians were once slaves to sin, but that was a past reality. But now, verse 18, Paul says they have been set free from sin, and they become slaves of righteousness. How did, how did that happen? Notice in verse 18 that they were set free. It's a, it's a passive verb. They didn't free themselves. They didn't come up with enough goodness. They didn't one day figure out, oh, if we are this righteous, if we obey God these ways, if we, if we muster up enough good courage and strength and good deeds, we'll get out of this. They were delivered. Someone else did the action. That's the truth of the gospel for us, that we don't save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves, but someone else has to come and to free us. We're not good enough to free ourselves. We're not strong enough to free ourselves. They were set free. How were they set free? Well, Paul says back in verse 17 that they were committed, or literally the word there is handed over. They were transferred to another power. Stepping out of the dominion of sin, under the mastery of sin, and being slaves to sin, they were set free, transferred, committed to a new power. And that new power was spoken of, or it was encapsulated in the phrase that Paul uses, the standard of teaching. That's another way of saying, you heard good news. Somebody proclaimed a message to you, and the teaching of the gospel happened, and God worked in your heart. They were told that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King of Israel who came and suffered and died on their behalf, and he suffered and died on our behalf, and he was raised to life again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. They were told that everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus is not under the wrath of God, but they are delivered and justified or declared righteous, and they have peace with God. They heard that good news and they believed from the heart. They became obedient from the heart to that good news, that standard of teaching. 
They were transferred from death to life, out of the slavery of sin, into the bondage of love in Christ. That reality produced a new obedience to them. And that obedience from the heart is the obedience of repentance and faith. As they did so, they became slaves of righteousness. Having been set free from sin, they become slaves of righteousness. Their obedience demonstrates who they were slaves of. See, this is great news because you may be a slave to sin here today. You might be showing up on the doorstep of sin day in, day out, obeying, following. You feel like you can't get any traction. There's no, no movement forward. You can't find holiness. You can't be holiness. And you're just stuck and dead in your sins. The good news is you don't have to remain in that slavery any longer. You don't have to remain in that state because Jesus came and he came to rescue and liberate sinners that were enslaved to sin. Friend, you may be addicted to sin, you may be codependent on sin, but Christ can free you and bring you to being obedient from the heart to him, to righteousness. The message of the gospel is to repent and to believe. So so as I say it today, believe the good news. Reject your sin. Jesus is a far better master. He's a far kinder Lord. He's a much fairer leader. Repent and reject your sin and obey the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you obedient to sin and always giving in to it and doing what sin commands? Or is there an obedience from the heart to the good news of Jesus? One of the the evidences of being a slave to Christ is not perfection, but repentance. I I don't want you to get it in your mind To be a slave of Jesus means you have to be perfect. No, it means you have to be repentant. You recognize, you presented yourself to sin and you recognize Jesus is a better Lord. You humble yourself and repent and confess. There's a humility that's born in knowing our sin and coming and repenting of it. If you're somebody who has nothing to apologize for, nothing to repent of, nothing to own up on, I don't know if you believe the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that we're all sinners, we're all in need, we're all enslaved to our sin. If you can't share your failures, if you can't open your heart, but you're always preserving your image, protecting your status, you're always careful about how others perceive you, you're demonstrating an obedience to sin. You're demonstrating an enslavement to sin. Paul says as as he speaks about being obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching, to the gospel news, he's saying that Christians repent. Those who are freed from sin, we own up on it. We come to God with it, and we, and we go to one another, and we confess our sins regularly, humbly. I mean, think about that. What would it look like in our, in our lives? What would our relationships with God and with one another feel like and be experienced as if we let down our guard? We humbled ourselves. And we said, I want, I want to be a slave of God because he has rescued me. He has delivered me from the power of sin. He has delivered me from enslavement to sin. And so I, I can just be honest. I can be real with you about my, my brokenness and my failure and my rebellion and my sin. How freeing would that be? To say, I'm a slave to God. What if we walked in that freedom? If you're trying to discern whether you're a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin, the first question is to ask, who do you obey? If if the long trajectory in your life is just obeying sin, not caring, not repenting, walking in the ways of that master, 
it reveals you're a slave to sin. But if from the heart there's a desire and a longing for righteousness, a pursuit of Christ, a humility, an obedience to his good news, it reveals slavery to God, which is a good thing. Another question to ask is, what fruit do we reap? What's, what's the fruit of, of how we live? It explains or it, it gives evidence of how we are enslaved or to whom we are enslaved. Now, Paul acknowledges this metaphor and illustration of slavery isn't perfect. He says this in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's like, I just got to get this on street level. I know it's hard to understand this, this concept of union with Christ and either being slaves to righteousness or slaves to sin. I know that kind of boggles our minds. So I'm just trying to speak plainly. To help you envision what this, what this really is. We're, we're limited people. But, but it's a powerful illustration, so he, he carries it on. He repeats the imperative command of verse 13. We saw this last week. He says in verse 19, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He says, in the same way that you were slave to sin and impurity and lawlessness, which spiraled into more lawlessness, the more you sin, the more you want to sin, the more you sin, the more you want to sin, the more you sin. It's just a downward cycle. Now, he says, being freed from sin, being united with Christ, present your life as a slave to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, maybe the best commentary in the book of Romans, he states it this way. He says, Christians should serve righteousness with all the single-minded dedication that characterized their pre-Christian service of such idols as self and money, lust, pleasure, and power. He's saying, show up, present yourself to God, present yourself to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. The term here, sanctification, could be translated holiness. It's this idea of ever-increasing more and more set-apartness to God, being people that our lives are, are given over to Him. They're displayed in being set free from sin and set forward for Him. They're lives that are new and holy and pure. Or the word sanctification, it can have the sense of being more and more and more like Christ. Paul says, you don't want to show up on the doorstep of sin as a slave to sin and and head down the toilet bowl of more and more lawlessness. Sin begets sin. It gives birth to more sin and more death and more unrighteousness and more lawlessness. So now you, as a follower of Jesus, if you're a slave to God, if you've been liberated from the power of sin, present yourself, present your members, your lives, all that you are as a slave to righteousness which will grow and increase and yield itself out in more and more holiness. That's the point of this question. What what fruit are you seeing in your life, in your behavior, in your interaction with other people, in your attitude, in your affections, in your heart? What, What fruit are you seeing there? Paul furthers the conversation in verses 20 and 21. He's saying, do we see more lawlessness or do we see more holiness He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free or unobligated in regard to righteousness. There was no obeying righteousness. You didn't have to listen to it. You didn't listen to righteousness. You didn't walk in that way. 
But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? Now again, Paul is speaking to a Christian church here, a church at Rome. They look back on their past and they go, wow, that was, that was horrible. The way I lived there, I, I'm so embarrassed by those things. I don't like to think about the past because I'm ashamed of how I lived. The debauchery of my life, the violence of my hands, the impure thoughts of my mind, any of it, all of it. He says, you were ashamed of it. That was the fruit of living as a slave to sin. He says, the end of those things is death. That's the road you were headed on. That's the path you were taking. And the, and the end of that road is ultimate, eternal death. Is that the fruit that's showing up in your life? These days, though, Paul looks at them, and he looks to us as well. He says, I think things are different. But now, I love that, again, verse 22, but now you have been set free from sin. There it is another time, another reminder for us. In Christ, we are freed from the power and dominion of sin. In Christ, set free, and we become slaves of God. You've got to serve somebody, and now we're under the mastery of the Lord. Jesus is our king. He is our leader. We're slaves to God. And what, what does that life yield? The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sin is no longer your master. You are now a slave of God and the fruit of that relationship is ever-increasing holiness. More and more Christ-likeness. And finally, as you're walking that road, it, it, it concludes in eternal life. Not death, but life forever with God in Him. Uh, again, the contrast here begs the question, what fruit are you seeing in your life? Is there an ever-increasing fruit of sin in your life? Is it just more and more building in, your, in the way you walk and in the way you live? Or is there an ever-increasing sense of holiness, a pursuit of righteousness, a love for godliness, a desire to please Him? Let me, let me give you some specifics here and just help us clarify what this is. Let's not have it be so abstract when we think about the fruit of sin and the fruit of righteousness. Paul helps us with this in Galatians 5. He, he talks about the fruit of our flesh, the works of our flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. He, he lists some things out. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Here, here's what this lawlessness really looks like. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry sorcery, and here's where it gets a little bit closer to home, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That's the, that's the works of the flesh, the fruit of being a slave to sin. That's what lawlessness really looks like. Paul gives the Galatians there a warning. He says, I warn you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. If that's the, slave, the, the, the master that you serve, if that's who you are enslaved to, sin, those things show up in your life, they show up in abundance, and they build and grow, and they demonstrate you're on the road to death. Do you see these things in your life? Do you see them in a consistent, building, increasing manner? Friend, hear the warning. If that road leads to death. Repent. Believe the good news. Christ has died for you. He's forgiving you. Come to him and believe. 
What about the other side? What about the fruit of being a slave to God? That's what Paul describes in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says there is no law against those things. Boy, how refreshing does that feel? We hear those kinds of, of, of realities lived out. I think about that kind of fruitfulness in my life, and I go, that's it, right? We, we want to live in a world where there is love and joy and peace, where we're patient with one another. We want, uh, humanity is crying out right now for kindness. It's ours in the Spirit. As we are under the, the lordship of Christ Slaves to God, that's the fruit in which he works out in our souls. That's what sanctification looks like. The gentleness. Who doesn't want to be around a gentle person? Who just is kind. That's the trajectory of faith in Jesus. And it leads, it results, it concludes in eternal life. That's the life we get to live out forever. So the question here is, is this the fruit you're reaping in your life? Is this, is this what's being born out of your being a slave to God? I don't blush at using that term. It's there for us. We are slaves to God, Paul says. And that's the fruit that we should bear. Friend, let me encourage us along as brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the things that we should be asking God for and pursuing Him for and seeking to stand upon in our lives. These are the things that, that should evidence themselves in the life of the church and the people of God together. And where we don't see those things, we're seeing the works of the flesh and the enslavement to sin. So whose servant are we? Who are you serving? Who are you obeying? What fruit are you reaping in your life? And it leads to a third question. What destiny awaits you? Paul has set this question in throughout the entire passage here, but he really comes to the end of it in verse 23. He is getting us to look down the road and ask the ultimate question. He states it this way, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin pays is what he's saying. You get a paycheck from sin. You go in. You're a slave to it, you do its work, and sin will pay out. It'll give you a check and, and say, here is the wages, here's the salary you get for living under mastery to me. And that, that paycheck is death. Eternal, it's conscious, death here is eternally living under the wrath of God and being separated from his love and goodness forever. Paul is speaking in absolutes, and clarity here. The wages, the paycheck of sin, is death. It's the just punishment for our infinite rebellion and our opposition to God. Is that your destiny? As a slave to sin, it's bearing out the fruits of lawlessness, of unrighteousness in your life, the works of the flesh, is that your trajectory? There's a better vision here. There's a better hope. He says, but the free gift of God. 
Again, not something you earn, not something you, you merit on your own work, not a paycheck you receive. It's a free gift. It's given. You, we receive it with the open arms of faith. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's the destiny of all who would open up their hands, who would stop working for the slave master of sin, who, who would repent and come to Christ. Free gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our master, our Lord. What a beautiful free gift. It's everything. It's the very thing that we need and can long for. It's the very thing that we would hope for. The free gift of God is the righteousness of Christ. It's his holiness, his perfection, his obedience, the righteousness of God that we need. And he gifts it to us. You don't have to earn it. You can't. He says, here it is. Trust me. His free gift is his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice for our sins on the cross. It's his death for our rebellion. He dies for you and me and gives his death as a gift to us. He says, you don't have to live under the mastery of sin. It's going to dominate you with death itself. I'll die so that you'll be free, so you'll have life. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of his resurrection from the dead, his vindication over sin, over Satan, over death itself. And he says, I'll give you that life too for your hope and for your life, just as I've been raised to life again, so you too with me forever and ever will never be separated again. Friends, the free gift here isn't just some sort of pie in the sky, disembodied, floating on clouds in heaven with harps reality. The free gift is Christ himself, and it's life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's everything we could ever want and hope for in him. If you're in Christ, that's the destiny that's ahead for you. It may sound really weird to say we are slaves to God. We've got to serve somebody. But slavery to God is the truest freedom. It's the best life forever. It's the happiest place in Christ. It's liberating. It's good. The, the question here prompts us to think about our, our last day. As we live our lives here and now, as we, as we work and as we recreate, as we parent, as we get married, as we, as we live on this earth, We've got to be asking ourselves the question, who are we serving? Because we, we, serve, we serve somebody. We serve somebody. And we all long for freedom. We all want to be liberated. We all want to be independent and autonomous. But we can only be free in Christ. Because of the dominion of sin, because of the power of Satan, because of our broken nature and our broken world, we're all slaves, but only Christians are truly free. Friends, I, I would call to you this morning, if you're not a Christian today, would you consider the good news of Jesus and all that he's done for you? Would you repent and believe the good news? Will you renounce your master's sin and trust Christ to transfer you into his kingdom? Will you repent and reject obeying sin and present yourself to God? 
God can liberate you in Christ from the bondage of sin, and he can set you free. All you have to do is come with the open hands of faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're a Christian today, let me ask you, are you living and obeying God as your master? Are you pursuing Christ and living under his righteous reign of grace? Do you see the evidences of growth and grace in your life? Is there an increasing, it may not be huge steps, but it may be steps of holiness, more and more and more. You may inch along, and some days you may take a big stride. But is there the growth in Christ-likeness in your heart and life? Let's press on towards holiness. Let's remember that we're rescued from our slavery by sin. We're rescued by Christ and what he has done for us. And let's remember that together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.